Welcome back to the Policy Biz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. I hope you're well. I hope the weather is treating you nice. It has gotten hot here in Virginia, and it has made umpiring behind the plate of the Little League a little difficult. But anyways... On to the show. Uh, as you probably know, if you're in the data visualization field, there were a number of stories from the New York Times a couple of weeks ago uh, about the marking of one million deaths in the United States from COVID. And there was some conversation about whether, in particular, one of those stories that included a bunch of dots animating around the screen, whether that was an effective way to get readers to feel the impact of that unfortunate milestone. Uh, but later in the week, there were a couple of other stories, in one in particular by Eliza Alfrechtig, uh, that used audio from family members of people who had passed away from the virus. And so I reached out to Eliza to get her take on uh, her story, how she built it, and also this sort of broader body of work that the Times had come out with uh, that week. So uh, we chat about her work, we chat about how she actually built it, where she got the audio files from, and her thoughts generally about how we can use sound to help readers or users or audience members connect with our content. So I'm going to hand it over to this interview with Eliza from the New York Times, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Hi, Eliza. Good morning. How are you? Hi, John. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fine. It's definitely summertime here in Virginia in the yeah. high 90s. So Yeah, here in, uh, here in Brooklyn as well. It is yeah. quite warm. <laughs> what do we have? Like basically a couple of months of like 50, I don't know about down, up there, but down here was like 50 degrees for a couple of months in like April and May, which never happens. Yeah, it was it was very cool for a while. I think I wore my, my coats for longer than yeah. expected. Which I don't mind actually, because everybody complains about the 50 degrees and then everybody will complain about the 90 degrees. So, you know, might as well complain we're not sweating as far as I'm concerned. So. <laughs> um, well, anyways, thanks for coming on the show. I'm really excited to chat with you about your piece in The Times and a couple of other pieces in The Times marking this unfortunate uh, anniversary of a million deaths from COVID. So the story that you worked on that you wrote, uh, Voices of a Grieving Nation, came out, I think, uh, a week or so ago and was a combination of text and graphs and audio, which I thought was the kind of for me, the most engaging piece of it. And so I thought maybe you could just tell folks how you and the folks you work with came up with it and then how you actually physically did the interviews or recorded the audio and then how you actually built the whole thing and pulled it all together. Sure. Um, so I think as some background, I have spent you know more than the last two years as part of the team that creates the coronavirus trackers on the New York Times website. So there's there's a group of us, there's you know more than 100 people. I know you spoke with uh, Charlie, another right. person that I work with. And um, I am part of a sort of smaller subset of that group that creates the graphics for the coronavirus tracker, the, the charts, the time series, the, the tables, everything that readers and I come back and check day after day. Mm -hmm. And so, I had spent a lot of time staring at these charts <laughs> that I was building. Yeah. And I know that also, you know, unlike a lot of other uh, visualizations that, that the Times does, readers spent a lot of time looking at, at these charts. And I think that that time series of cases and also of, of deaths in some ways is like a marker of this era. I think it's, it's mm. this indelible image of this crisis that we've all been living through for the last two plus years. And so as I've been working on it, I think something that we talk 
about a lot and that's important to us is to make sure that these numbers are not just numbers, you know, that every pixel of that chart of a case chart is somebody who got sick. Every pixel of the uh, deaths chart is somebody who died. And you don't want to forget that, you know, even as you're getting really deep into the technical details, you know, this is, this is, these are lives um, that we're talking about. And so I was, I had just been broadly thinking about, you know, what are ways that, that we can help make these, these graphics that are so familiar, you know, perhaps focus more on, on individual lives. And so an initial idea that I had was um, this concept of like, find yourself on, find yourself on the curve. So Mm -hmm. for the case curve, uh, like I had this idea, oh, what if we do a call out to readers and, and ask them if you had coronavirus, you know, you're here, you're one of the pixels on this chart, like right. find yourself and, and tell us your story. And there was some discussion around that idea. And that was earlier in uh, this 2022. And as we were starting to talk about that, it became clear that we were, you know, nearing this, this awful milestone of, of 1 million people who had died. And so we started talking about, well, what if we did something like that, some sort of way of, of really personalizing these graphics, but for deaths. And so I was, as I was sort of starting to have conversations about, oh, how could we maybe do a call out for readers and, and ask them to, you know, find their loved ones on this forum, I learned that The Daily, our podcast, mm-hmm. had already done that. Um, and so, right. yeah, so they had, they had put out a call out asking readers who had lost someone to COVID-19 to call in with some sort of memory Mm -hmm. of the person who died. And I think also generally if they had any thoughts about grief and grieving to, to share those in a voice memo. And so I connected with the daily and it was, it was, it was shortly after they had opened it, but they had already received a lot of submissions. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, they, they were interested in using them for their own episode, which they did do and which I thought was, was really incredible. Um, they used some of the same voice memos that I did. Um, but I was like, what if we did something collaborative where, you know, I could also, um, make use of some of these voice memos and kind of attach them to the point on the chart and really use that as a way of not only honoring the lives of the people who died, but also, you know, think more broadly about how we make sense and how we visualize and how we, you know, visualizes, you know, talking about visuals, but how do we, right, right. Uh, you know, yeah. make sense of such a large number uh, using, using voices of people. And so that was, so once we had that initial conversation, uh, we sort of moved forward on this collaboration and then the story uh, began to take shape. And they have a large number of these voice memos that came through. Did you have to winnow your way through to find the ones that you thought would work in the story? And how did you, how did you do that? filtering process? So the daily received more than uh, 200 voice memos and they were, they were just gutting to listen to. Yeah. I was going to say like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, mean, just just on like the data prep side, like it must just be like torturous to have to listen to these. It was, it was really challenging. And I, but I think it was really important uh, to listen to them. And I, I wouldn't say that I listened to every single a bit of, of all of them, but uh, because the daily had sort of started to go through them and they had started to, to organize them, but I listened to a lot of them mm-hmm. and I didn't really have a clear sense of 
you know, which ones I, I wanted to feature. There wasn't like I was, I was looking for some particular thing. I, but as I was listening, I, I sort of started to compose them into like moments in time and, mm. and think about, you know, like common themes. And I think the daily did the same, you know, we were, mm. we were working, uh, I don't know, in sort of different lanes of a similar project and we were yeah. collaborating and, and, you know, they were doing curation and I was doing curation and, and I think for everyone involved in the project, like we felt that it was so challenging, but also, I don't know, just really important to hear what mm. the readers had to say and i think informed both of our our final products just mm. grappling with with the grief of, of you know each individual voice right right and i think that that is sort of what i would say is like the thesis of the story you know that i was working on my my contribution to this like memorializing of a million deaths is that when you are looking at such an awful milestone of a million people who've died from COVID, you know, there's, there's really, there's two numbers that you're, you're thinking about. There's a million and then there's also one. And I think mm -hmm. that what audio compared to a lot of other forms is so effective with is that it, it demands your attention. You can't listen to a million audio files all at once. You can't even right. really listen to three or four or 10 audio files at once. And in a way, it, it kind of like helps make this point that you can't just consolidate, you know, you can't just add one and one and one and one and then get to a million that it's, it's almost, it's impossible to do, to do that math. And I think audio right. helps make that point. Right. I want to come back to your story, but, but given that you, you've mentioned this idea of the one and the single pixel, I want to talk about a couple of other projects that the Times had put out that same week. So there was a piece that came out a couple days, I think, or maybe the day before yours came out. It was entitled uh, How America Lost One Million People, and it got a lot of attention in the data viz Twitter world. Uh, it, you know, there's a big print spread, but online it started with all these dots, you know, these, you know, little dots around the screen. And then as you scroll through and animated into this curve, as you've mentioned, the, the area chart, and then it, as you kept scrolling, it animated out into this, into this map. And there was, there was some critique about that saying, you know, all these, you know, again, with all the dots, all the pixels, it still doesn't help us really grasp the magnitude uh, and the impact of a million deaths. But, you know, in retrospect, I think over the next couple of days, you know, your piece came out and then there was another piece that came out. There was an op-ed that had actual text message exchanges between people who are in the hospital and their family members. And I just, I wonder, I don't really know what the question here is, but I guess, I guess what I'm trying, what I'm trying to ask is, should we as the reading public, especially when we hit a milestone like this, should we view these pieces as as a body of work as a whole rather than here's one here's another here's another and and sort of pick each one apart yeah so i think you know for such an enormous story as this one one million people who've died mm -hmm. there are dozens if not more of ways that you can look at look at this story and right. i think that, that you know that's true for any story that like the larger the story is the more ways we're going to cover it and think about it and convey it. And so I can't like, you know, speak to the specific decisions that were made in those other stories. You know, right, right. I was, I was aware of the, of uh, the one that with the million dots, but I wasn't involved in it. And the mm -hmm. one that was coming out of opinion was, was separate. Yeah, and I should separate. note, I think they're both really fantastic stories that, you know, are doing 
different things. And so, yeah, yeah, I I think that like, from my perspective, there's no one definitive way of telling the story of a million deaths. And I think, you know, this has been something that we've been grappling with, you know, how to tell the story of COVID since it began, you know, we Mm. tell it in our charts that are on the tracker that are, that are reporting the numbers. We tell it in, you know, written articles that are coming out every day. We tell it in our live blog. We tell it in stories that include photography, stories that include videos. Um, you know, as we've hit different milestones, like a hundred thousand, there was, you know, they took over the front page and there was right. also a, an online version um, that, you know, showed bits of obituaries and people's names. When we hit 500,000 people who had died, there was a really fantastic uh, video story that uh, one of my teammates put together. And I think like, from my perspective, there's, there is no way that that you can really convey this and say, okay, this is the definitive story. And this is the definitive way this is, but I think that each story that we've published is trying to do something different. You know, I think my story was really trying to convey in a way, in almost like a meta kind of way, how difficult it is to Mm -hmm. understand such an enormous loss. I think that, you know, as a reader of the story with a million dots, they were looking at different groups of people who are affected and and why and and really helping people understand, you know, of this giant number, like this it wasn't just a million scattered equally around the country. Yeah. There were very specific groups that were affected. And I think it was important to look at that. I think the the opinion story it was you know, so emotionally effective because everyone texts people. If you know somebody who's sick, you're texting with them. And so I think, you know, you're just able to identify. And so I think there's, they're just, and my, you know, my story was, you know, thinking about how you listen to people who are grieving and um, how you, you know, how it's difficult to consolidate uh, grief and yeah. like to sort of package it and, and wrap your arms around it. And I think they're, they're just all different ways of looking at something and I don't know that I think that they they each had their own goal right I'm curious what how you look at your piece and the op-ed piece that was of the text messaging because those two and I know they're they're separated Um, there's like a wall or whatever between the news side (laughs) and the op-ed side but I'm curious how you look at those two because they do seem so I guess closer in nature because they both have these individual exchanges or responses? Yeah, I think that they are doing some similar things. I think that they're both trying to contrast or really look at the complement of, you know, one individual loss, you know, one connection with a family member, and then sort of zoom out and look at, you know, how that relates to the whole. But I think that they're, the formats, they they just, they do different things. I think with audio, you can, you can hear the emotion in somebody's voice. Um, I think there's just, there's a lot of other information that you get from a person that are different from the words. And I think what, what is so effective about text messages, as I mentioned, is that they're just the way that people communicate it now. And so I think you can kind of identify in a way with those. And so, yeah, I I think that, you know, there, as I said, there's many different ways of of trying to look at this. And I think that, um, they, they are doing similar things, but I don't feel like they're redundant. No, 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 that's right. What I yeah. also found interesting about the, the text messaging piece was they did such a good job with the design 
where it was actually like an image of a phone and you would scroll through the text messages the way you actually would, as opposed to sort of having it, you know, like regular text. Like I thought the design was really well done. Yeah, absolutely. I thought they did a really fantastic job. So I want to come back to your piece. There are going to be some people listening to this who want to know how it was actually built. So you have all these audio files. Um, and for folks who haven't seen it, and I'll, I'll put a link on the show notes, it's uh, a chart on the left side. And as you scroll through, uh, there's the the written news story. And then you have these spots where you can play the audio, which was also very nice that it's sort of, um, I don't know, is there is there a name for this where it is it just closed captioning where it sort of highlighted the text as it moved along? Because you could toggle the audio on and off if you wanted to, but the highlighting always sort of occurred. Yeah, that. I'm not sure I should come up with a snappy name for that effect. It's something that I have been developing and used on a number of different stories, uh, at least for like a year or two. I think the first time that I used that, let's we can call it, I don't know, uh, karaoke or, or closed caption was actually on a story that I was collaborating on about podcast voices, uh, which is apt okay. for, for this conversation. And they, it was sort of trying to illustrate like podcast ease and, you know, the way that, that different people speak on podcasts. And there were these illustrations, like a spiral of uh, a voice or you know, very sparse. I'll send you a link to it. Um, yeah. And, you know, the idea that as you're hitting each word, it, it highlights. And I, I, just, I think it's very effective because I think that when you're coming to an article, you don't usually expect that it's going to have an audio component. And so I think we need to, we, we obviously want to do our best to entice readers to turn on their sound uh, because, yeah. you know, we're not, we're adding audio because we think that there's something that audio can uniquely do for the story. Right. But we also know that, that readers, not everyone, you might not be in a situation where you can turn on sound right. when you're, right. when you're reading the New York times. And so how do you make the experience at least somewhat, you know, satisfying uh, yeah. without sound and maybe also use that as a way of enticing people to turn on their sound. So right. yeah, that's, that's definitely been a format that I've been exploring for a while. And so it was interesting to, to try it out again here. So, um, okay. So, so I want to get to the technical piece because I'm sure people sure. are like, Oh, oh right, I want right, to yes. add, I want to add sound to my piece. So yeah. So how is this like technically, how is this built? Yeah. Sure. So it uses um, a JavaScript framework called Svelte, uh, mm -hmm. which is something that was created by a former colleague of mine, both at The Guardian and The New York Times, Rich Harris. Um, and it's it's a great framework for people who are uh, interested in JavaScript. I, it, I think it's particularly well suited to building the sort of you know interactive web pages that we build in news, which is not coincidental because Rich was building it to support his work right. in news. Um, so that, that's the underlying framework. And then in terms of the audio, it's just using HTML5 audio. So there's no library. It's just using what, you know, you have if you, on any available on any web page mm. on the modern web. Um, and you can really do a lot with that. You know, it's, you can, you can play one file, you can play multiple files, um, you can adjust the volume and, you know, even though I think the, the composition of, you know, playing multiple video files at once, it looks complicated under, mm. under the hood. It's actually fairly straightforward. Mm. Um, I mean, it's fairly straightforward if you're familiar with, you're <laughs> with right. web development and I think there's something more frustrating than someone saying, Oh, it's easy. And you know, you have no idea what to <laughs> right. do, but I think if, if you're the sort of person who is familiar with, you know, building websites and it's comfortable with JavaScript, I think working with audio is very accessible. 
Yeah, I already kind of know the answer to this question, but I want to I want to ask it anyway. So sound and data viz sort of sonification are kind of a somewhat of a hot topic seems to kind of ebb and flow a little bit in the in the field. And I mean, I kind of already can guess your your affinity for sound um, and using audio since you have at least these two projects that, that we've talked about. But um, I'm curious w- how you foresee sound being used maybe more regularly in in the field and, and to communicate data, you know, not just these huge milestone type pieces, but but more regularly. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's funny. I don't, I don't think of a lot of what I do as like, you know, data viz, even though I think, you know, maybe this case, it, it arguably could be, but I think more in terms of, you know, what is the best way to communicate this particular story? And I think, as I was you know, mentioning before, the, the barrier to experiencing audio is there. It's, it's, it can be difficult. Um, it's, you know, it's a more challenging experience for the reader. And so I think when you're using audio or using video, which is also something that I have been working with a lot over the last few years, you want to have a good reason for doing it. And so it's hard for me to say, oh yeah, like we should just do more stuff with audio. But I think if there are stories that Mm -hmm. are enriched by readers hearing something, um, then I think it's it's certainly worth doing. You know, I th- it's like, I think that the power of audio, it's, it's sort of a, a double-edged sword in that it demands your attention. Like I think, mm-hmm. you know, related to this million deaths story, um, it t- you, you can't just skim it. You can't just like kind of move yeah. your eyes around a page and take it in. We're not, you know, readers have been trained to sort of understand visuals over the last 10, 20 years, which, you know, it's not, it's not like they naturally knew how to do that, but it's something people have been working on. And I think there's, we don't have a good way of, of taking in a lot of audio. And, and so yeah. I think it's, you know, what are the stories that would benefit? I think it, it adds emotion. It, it really helps humanize stories to hear things. Um, and also I think, you know, music and media and culture journalism, I think also really benefits from audio. I've worked on a lot of stories with our culture desk, um, that in, involve music. And so of course, if you're working on a story that is about sounds, is about music, um, then it's great if you can allow readers to hear it too. You know, I've, I've um, worked on this series that we call Before After, where we look at a classic album. And as you go through, we describe for each song of the album, its influences and the songs it influenced. And it's one thing mm-hmm. to just be able to read uh, a journalist, you know, telling you what this like what this particular song took from something before but it's another thing to be able to hear it and say oh okay that like guitar pattern in this song from the 1930s which i can now hear mm-hmm. i can hear it now in this song from the 1960s right. uh so we've we've done that for we did it for maggot brain we did it we did that series for um my Chemical Romance, <laughs> we, <laughs> which I, while I was working on that, I turned into a giant My Chemical Romance fan. I had never even heard it before that. I was like, this is amazing. Uh, we did it for B-52s. Um, it's, it's a fun series. That's a good and series. And I think that, you know, yeah. there there have been other stories like on, about bird sounds, or there was a really mm-hmm. fantastic one uh, that some of my colleagues did about subway chimes in different cities. And so when you're talking about something you can hear, like, yeah. want to hear it. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so how does that play then into the print side of the newspaper? Or does it or does it <laughs> not? I mean, I know there's this, this yeah. I mean, it must be a tough balance. 
Yeah, it is. I think that for for this story about a billion deaths, it really like I couldn't imagine what a print version of this would look like. Like there is no print version because it's both dealing with the animation through time of a chart mm. and and how it changes over time and how you know whether you have a thousand deaths or a million deaths it still fits in the same space and i think that using the web is is a, an effective way to show that and of course it also deals with with audio and like the uniqueness of that form and so i basically went into this being like i don't think there will be a print version right but it ended up that i thought that the the print package that was put out um you know where they took over the the whole front page and yeah. there were a lot of other stories we did end up using the quotes that um, I had selected and, and just sort of listing them uh, on the back page there. So the, the final page of that were this, mostly the same stories that ended up in, in my story. And so that was one way of, of elevating the voices of the readers right. who had called in. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't really the same article. It, was, yeah. you know, it wasn't like making this, this point about representation, but it was still including it in a way. Right, but it's interesting because it, it spans then, I mean, I know there's more than just kind of the three things in my head right now, print, online, and podcast, but like it yeah. spans all three of those and, and kind of does a nice job of linking all those different ways to reach an audience, um, yeah. just in a subtle way, right? Like I probably, I mean, I probably no one really realizes that until right now, right? Um, that that you could have seen I... or heard the same quote, yeah. Yeah, I, I did sort of see the story I was, I was working on as like existing in some space between the other mm -hmm. ones yeah. um, in a way because it is, you know, integrating the, the daily podcast and the data and the individual stories that we report you know, right. all the time that we try that we try to elevate those stories as much as we can. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's hard to really if, you, if you're really trying to, you know, push the web and mm. and like to tell stories in a unique way it can be hard to then say okay well how do we how do we put this in print um and i i personally <laughs> yeah. don't know anything about print design i haven't worked on that i know there are some colleagues of mine who do both and are really fantastic mm. at both and so when i have like for example those before and after music stories they do end up um in the paper but there's obviously no audio element it's just it's, <laughs> right yeah. Um, yeah just pressing on paper doesn't really play yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, well, Liza, these are great. The story was great. Uh, thanks so much for, for taking time out of your day and chatting about it. Um, I'll put on the episode notes for folks who want to check all these out. I'll put them down there so you can you can take a look. Um, uh, as well as some of the other pieces that we talked about, the before after and the podcast voices and the subway chimes, put all those. So, um, so again, sure. thanks so much for coming on the show. It was really great chatting with you. And uh, yeah, thanks. Okay. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you learned a little bit. There are a lot of links in the show notes to this week's episode. So go over there, do some clicking, do some reading, and, of course, do some listening. If you would like to help support the show, please rate or review it on your favorite podcast provider. You can also support the show financially through Patreon, or you can also head over to my new Winnow community, which is a text messaging app where I send out about two or three times a week some data visualization strategies, tips, examples, and also have some cool giveaways going on uh, right now through the month of June and July. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Only one more left in this season of the show. So until next time, this has been the Policy of This Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.
A number of people help bring you the Policy Viz podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.